Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, are you ready for the word this morning? Matthew chapter 6, meet me there. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it is page 970 in that Bible. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to show you a commercial as we get started, and uh, it's a commercial based on an old joke that you maybe have heard before, and in this commercial, there is a, an American destroyer, a ship out at sea. Uh, it runs into somebody, and somebody's got to move, so take a look at this. That was an insurance commercial, interestingly enough. And uh, old joke, it's a, an urban legend story. Maybe you have heard it before, but uh, I like that commercial for where we're going today because it's talking about, you know, there is a, a ship at sea, uh, has a will, has a purpose, has a desire, but what happens when it runs into something that's actually stronger and more powerful than itself? Uh, something's got to move. Something's got to budge. And of course, the, the punchline of the joke is the ship has to move. But I want you to keep that in mind as we go through our text today and as we jump into our message as this applies to us. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And prayer becomes the place where we connect with God and where we see his power and where we ask for things and where we spend time in his presence. And it's a calling and a crucial part of the life of every believer. So in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, Jesus is teaching his disciples disciples about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." So this teaching shows up elsewhere in the Gospels as well, not just in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, in one of the accounts of it, it starts with the disciples coming to Jesus and specifically asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do this. And Jesus responds with what we call the Lord's Prayer. And if we want to learn about what kind of prayer God is looking for, looking to Jesus makes a lot of sense because Jesus is God in the flesh. And so he knows the kind of prayer that God is looking for. And this teaching of his is so profound because we sometimes feel like we need to, uh, you know, kind of win God over or, or say enough things to get, us, to get him to change his mind maybe or to, to try and get him on board. And Jesus makes clear that nothing None of that is necessary when we pray. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, he actually specifically says, don't go on and on. You don't need to, to write a monologue. You don't need to talk and talk and talk. God knows what you need before you need it. So when you pray, pray like this. And he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, depending on your version, it's around 50 to 55 words. And in that brief amount of time, which you can recite or read through in about 20 seconds, 
Jesus covers worship. There is worship in there. There is acknowledgement of God's greatness. There is submission to God's will. There is an, an, a petition, an asking for provision for the day. There's forgiveness for ourselves. There's forgiveness for others. There's protection from temptation. There's protection from the evil one. It's basically got what you need to get through the day in a 50 or 55 word, 20 second prayer. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he says, pray just like this. And if we're finding ourselves in a spot where we don't know what to pray, we're not sure how to pray, or, or we're not sure what, she, what we should be saying, pray this. Because Jesus said, this is how you should do it. And this is great when you don't know what else to pray. And everything that we need covered on any daily given basis in terms of worship and thanksgiving and asking for provision and asking for protection, repenting of our sins, it all gets covered in 20 seconds. So Jesus tells us to pray these short, simple, easy prayers. And prayer is that place where we, uh, where we connect with God and we acknowledge that he is greater than us. We acknowledge that we need some help in this life. Mother Teresa said prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God. Prayer is the very act of saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I can't forgive my own sins. Lord, I can't earn my way into heaven. Lord, I need your help to provide every day. I need your protection from the enemy. Prayer is that place of trust where we put ourselves into God's hands. We entrust ourselves to him. And such a key part of the Lord's prayer is where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he says, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come down on earth. Let your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And there is this, uh, you know, difference, obviously, between heaven and earth. And, and we are praying more and more that earth looks more like heaven, that heaven is the place where God dwells fully, where there is no sin, there is no evil, there is no rebellion, there is no selfishness, there is no darkness, there is no sickness, there is no poverty, there is none of any of that in heaven. And when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he says, pray like this, let that come down on earth. Let your kingdom come down so that earth looks more like heaven. And so where there is sickness, we say, well, there's no sickness in heaven. Lord, let heaven's healing come down. Where there's lack or where there's poverty, there's no poverty in heaven. Let heaven's provision come down. Where there's sin and where there's selfishness, there is no sin in heaven. Let heaven's holiness come down and let your will be done on earth perfectly. Just like your will is perfectly done in heaven where there's no devil and there's no rebellion and there's no selfish people choosing their own way. Let heaven come down. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we call that submission. That is a prayer of submission where we say, Lord, your will. Let your will be done. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he's just about to go to the cross and he's having it out with his heavenly father a little bit. And he's, he's picturing the cross. He's picturing the pain. He's picturing the, the betrayal and the abandonment. He's picturing the, the agony, the horror of it all. And he says, Father, if there's any way I don't have to do this, Right? It's as close as we get to Jesus not doing what he was supposed to do. And he, he does it, obviously. But he just says, Lord, if there's any other way for us to fulfill what we want to fulfill without the cross, I would love for that to happen. But not my will, your will 
be done. Whatever you want to happen, I will submit myself to that. Your will is more important than my will. Your ways are more important than my ways. Your kingdom is more important than what I want to do with my own life. And so I will submit myself to your will and to your kingdom. And if there is a submission to a kingdom, then obviously it means we are submitting to a king. We are kneeling to a king. That Jesus is king is a core part of our faith. And it's so foreign from anything we have in our lives and, and anything that we desire. When Adam and Eve are created, right away, they start going, huh, Satan starts whispering, do you really want to do what God tells you to do? Like if you, he told you not to eat that fruit, but if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like him. You won't need him at all. And there was something in them that went, that sounds pretty good. And that is the human condition. We do not want to be told what to do. We don't want to bow our knee to someone else. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I have goals, I have dreams, I have desires, and I want to do them all. And part of the gospel is, is that salvation is offered, forgiveness is offered, and that gift is offered freely. Right? You can't earn your way into heaven. God gives you heaven as a gift as you put your trust in him. And yet the trade-off of it is that you bow a knee to Jesus as you do. And a lot of people, Scripture says, will stumble over that point and will not get to heaven because they won't bow the knee. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you have done this at some point in your life, maybe formerly or maybe not, but you've said, yes, I am going to trust in Jesus. I am going to follow after Jesus. I will lead, let Jesus lead me. Because Jesus didn't just say, trust me, he said, follow me. And if someone says, follow me, and you do, it's because they're your leader. And if they're your leader, that means they're in charge. And so we bow a knee to Jesus, and we say, Lord, we are going to live our lives your way. And we're not going to do it perfectly, because we are all humans. But we are going to, to walk with you to the best of our ability. We're going to struggle and stumble, but we're going to get up again. But we are going to submit to you as Lord. You are Lord, and we are not. And we are going to acknowledge that. And that goes against our natural tendencies. It goes against anything in our culture. Right? We're a democracy. In a democracy, we are hugely disrespectful to our leaders. We don't have any respect at all. Facebook tells me so. And it becomes, if you don't like what someone does, it's because they're an idiot. And we gave you your job, and we can take you out because we're voted in by the people in a democracy. So we are the bosses, really. And I've noticed even among Christians, it's interesting in the states where Donald Trump, who's obviously polarizing, uh, you know, the Christians are fiercely defending him, a lot of Christian leaders, and saying, hey, the Bible says submit to your leaders. You shouldn't talk about your leaders that way. And these are the same leaders that were ripping Obama to shreds two years ago. And so we have this tendency to, you know, to submit when we like the leader, and maybe not so much when we don't, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you submit to your leaders. When the Bible was written, there were kings, and there was Caesar, and there were actually people you had to bow a knee to in your life and that's so foreign from us that when you talk about bowing a knee to king jesus submitting to king jesus that's just so far away from anything we understand in our lives but prayer becomes that place where we do that because my life is not my own anymore scripture says i was bought at a price and so i don't just do whatever i want to do anymore i serve at the pleasure of the king of glory i serve at his pleasure and he gets to call the shots if he is Lord of my life. Because if he is Lord of my life, it means I'm not Lord of my life anymore. There can only be one Lord. And if there can only be one Lord, and I have given that Lordship to Jesus, and I have submitted myself to his salvation and into his ways, then he is Lord. And when he is Lord, that means he is Lord. He is in charge. 
He calls the shots. And that's a struggle for our, our flesh. That's a struggle for our natural tendencies. But there's this phrase that's been running through my head, my soul, whatever you want to call it, my spirit, even for the last few months. And we've called the sermon this today, Never Say Never When Jesus is Lord. And it's just been, every time I pray, every time I pick up my Bible, it's never say never when Jesus is Lord. Never say never when Jesus is Lord. It's kind of catchy. You're going to have it stuck in your head by the end today. Never say never when Jesus is Lord. And there's two different sides of it, and we'll touch on both of them as we go through today. But if Jesus is Lord, that means I don't get to say never to him anymore. I don't get to say things like, I will never move to Africa. I will never take that step. I don't get to say that anymore. And I shouldn't say things like, well, my marriage will never get better, or my sin is never going to change. Like, we don't get to say that either. Never just needs to be wiped out of our vocabulary if we are followers of Jesus. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we don't want a king. We want a consultant in the person of Jesus to advise us as we order our lives ourselves. Right? The idea of a king that you, you actually bow to, that you actually say, okay, you get to make this decision, not me. That you get to call which way I go. I don't get to choose that by myself. It's much easier just to live my life my own way, touch base with Jesus from time to time. right? When I need something, I'll, I'll maybe think to ask him. But it's easier just to do that and live the life that I want to live without submitting at all. And he says, like, yeah, we don't really want a king. That's been the struggle since Eden. We don't really want to bow a knee to somebody else. We would rather just do what we want and have Jesus in the background. But there's a level of commitment where Jesus said, if you are going to follow after me, you are going to have to pick up a cross to do it. That to follow after Jesus the way we are called to by Scripture does mean there will be sacrifice involved sometimes. It does mean I have to give up my own will sometimes. It does mean I have to give up my own choice sometimes because I say, Jesus, you get to call this because you're Lord and I'm not. And I've chosen to bow my knee to you. And this is where prayer becomes so important because the very act of prayer starts to reverse some of the selfishness that I have in my life because when I pray, just by the very act of talking to God in that way, I am acknowledging that I am less than him, right? You don't ask for help. My son is five. He's short. He's small as five-year-olds are. He's not asking, or I'm not asking him to help me lift heavy things, Right? He's asking me to do that. Because when you need, you need help, you go to the one who is stronger. You go to the one who is bigger. You go to the one who is greater. And so the very act of prayer is humility. That is humbling. Where we say, ah, I can't forgive my own sins. I can't overcome this thing by myself. I can't get through this trial on my own. I need your protection, Lord. I need your provision, Lord. I need your answers, Lord. I'm so confused right now. You go to the one who's wiser than you when you need an answer. And so prayer just begins to undermine uh, the self-driven nature of my life where I want to do it on my own, and I have my own ideas of how things should go, and I have dreams and I have plans, and in the act of prayer, we say, but not my will, your will be done. Wherever you lead me, I will go. And it's a lot easier to say than it is to do, but it's where prayer becomes so important. If we're not praying, then we're not acknowledging that we need God, who is greater than ourselves. And so we're told in Scripture to come, to ask, to pray. James 4, 2 says, you don't have because you don't ask. You've heard me talk about this before. You don't have, you know, your prayers aren't getting answered because you're not praying. And Billy Graham says that the heaven, heavens are full of storehouses 
of blessings that were never asked for by God's people. And you've heard me say this before too, it will be an awkward moment to stand before God at the end of your life and have God say, here's what was available for you in this life. You just never asked for it. That's a really stupid reason to miss out on the blessings of God. That if these things are there and we are invited by scripture to come and to petition and to ask, it's just a really dumb reason to miss out on the fact that life could have been a little easier, maybe. Life could have been a little better, maybe. Maybe Jesus would have walked with you a little closer if we just asked for it. And when we're too busy to pray or we're not sure how to pray, we can miss out on so much. You don't have because you don't ask, Scripture says. And we're invited to ask because Jesus said with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. That the word impossible does not exist in God's vocabulary. That this is the God who created everything from nothing, who created it all by his word, who sustains everything by his word and who has called a people for himself, and who has sustained his people Israel and his church, and has protected and provided for millennia, and who has gone to the cross, and who has risen from the dead, and who has called us to follow after him, who has just no understanding of the word impossible. This is the God who says, so come and ask me for things then. There is nothing that freaks me out that you could ask for. And this doesn't mean that we get every single thing we ask for in the way that we ask for. And that's a legitimate thing that we need to struggle through. But, but we stir up our faith and we say, this is the God that Jesus reveals to us. With God, all things are possible. So why should I not ask for everything? Everything that he has. More of you, Lord. Everything that you have of yourself. Every blessing that you have for me. Everything you have for my family, for my health, for my church. I want all of it. I want every bit of it. I don't want to get to heaven and find out you could have had more, but you didn't ask for it, moron. <laughs> I don't think God talks that way. That's, that might have been me speaking in that moment. With God, all things are possible. I believe I have shared this story with you before. This is Sudbury. Uh, this is the hospital in Sudbury. We pastored in Sudbury before we moved down here. And this is, uh, they had a big kind of mega hospital there, which is nice. When Windsor gets it, by the way, it's going to be awesome to have everything in one spot. And so Sudbury was a healthcare center for Northern Ontario. So everything came to Sudbury. And our kids were born at this hospital. So in that sense, we have some nice memories there. Uh, but when Kaylee was young, she had a lot of breathing issues. And she was eventually diagnosed with asthma. And asthma is not necessarily a big deal, and hers right now is in pretty good shape. But when she was young, they hadn't diagnosed it yet, and all we knew was she would go through these periods where she just really couldn't breathe. And so she was struggling a bit to breathe and was coughing a lot one day, so I took her to the walk-in clinic, and she didn't seem in that bad of shape, but they checked her oxygen, and her oxygen levels were really low. And so they said, we're calling an ambulance right now, actually. So uh, that was our first trip in an ambulance, uh, Kaylee and I. It wasn't our last one. But we were taken by ambulance to Sudbury Hospital, Health Sciences North. And we were, ended up being there for about a week. And they just couldn't get on top of it. Like, she was sick. She was feverish. She was coughing. But her oxygen levels were so low. She was we just fighting and wheezing and gasping to breathe. Uh, and it was hard as a parent, right, just to watch that. And it went on for days. And all of the standard procedures were not helping. The standard medications weren't doing it. Uh, Ventolin is what you take when you have an asthma attack. And so we have Ventolin puffers at our house right now. And on the label, it says, you know, if an attack's happening, take it every four hours, a few puffs if you need it. And that works really well. 
at one point, they were giving her blasts of it every 20 minutes, and it still wasn't doing anything. Her oxygen levels were just low and just staying low. And so it was our scariest time so far as parents as we watched this happen. And we're praying, and a church is praying. We were in Sudbury. We were by ourselves up there, uh, so we didn't have any friends or family up there. My parents drove up. They took the drive up just to come and be there for us. And as we were up there, and day was leading to day and leading to day, it's just not getting any better. And we're asking, like, is there anything else we can do? And uh, the nurse said, well, we can do a tracheotomy where we cut the throat and put a tube down into the lung. And we, okay, you know what? I won't ask any more questions. That's not information I need at this point. And so we were trading off. Matt was a baby at that point, and so I would spend a night there, and Sarah would spend a night there just so one of us was with Kaylee all the time. She was two, and so she doesn't have any idea what's going on. And, uh, and one night as I was there, it was my night there, and we had been praying, and the church had been praying. I just had just a strong compulsion of just get up and pray and pray and pray. Like, don't just pause for a second to pray, but, but fight. Just get up and, and start praying and praying and praying. And so I did. And I got up, and I was pacing the hospital room. She was asleep, but kind of struggling. And praying and just, God, have mercy. Have mercy on her. Have mercy on her little body. And, and give these doctors answers and praying everything I know how to pray. And when I ran out of things that I knew how to pray, I would pray in tongues because in tongues the Holy Spirit prays through us and it's awesome when you don't know what to pray. And when I got tired of doing that, I prayed the Lord's Prayer a bunch of times because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. And so just praying and praying and praying. And as it took me a while to kind of realize what was happening, but it was honestly like after a couple of hours of this, uh, I looked over at her monitor and her oxygen level, which had been low for days, uh, was creeping up, actually. It was starting to increase to healthier levels. And I went, oh, that's pretty cool. The prayer's working, like, right now, like, in real time. And there's actually, like, empirical evidence. There's a number showing what the prayer is doing. And her, her oxygen levels were going up. There was no medication or anything happening in this time. And as I kept praying, my phone started going off as, it, as the, you know, the time was going on and people were texting in and how are things going and, and how is she doing. And so I stopped for a while. I'd been at it for a bit. I deserved a break. And so I was answering these different things. And as I took you know, 15 minutes or whatever to stop and to answer these things, uh, the number went back down again to the level that it was at before, that it had been at all week. And I went, oh boy, all right, put the phone down, back to work, back to prayer. And as I began to pray again, the number began to creep up again. And it stayed there for a little while, and so I went back to my phone to answer some of those messages again. And then the number dropped again when I stopped. And so I was like, all right, it's time to turn the phone off for a while. And I went to pray, and I just prayed. And there's a story in the Old Testament of Moses, and there's a battle going on. And when he has his hands lifted in prayer, uh, Israel wins the battle. And when he puts his hands down and stops praying, Israel lost the battle. And this felt a little bit like that. Um, I'm not Moses, obviously, but this just felt a little like that, that there was something going on in the moment that required attention and focus. And so I prayed, and I just kept praying. And then the number hit the highest level it had been since before we came in, and it's stayed there for a while, and that after a little bit, I just felt peace flood my soul, and I just felt like, okay, it's done. Whatever, whatever I needed to do in prayer is finished. And so I collapsed into the cot and fell asleep. Uh, when I woke up a few hours later, the number was still high, and it stayed high, and then it just kept getting higher. We went home shortly after that. It was one of the coolest things that has ever happened to me in prayer, just because the results were right there in front of my face and then were just so obvious and so clear. And, and it was just such a good lesson that where the Bible says, you know, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, 
Uh, and I saw a little bit of what that looked like. I'm not righteous because I'm righteous, because Jesus has made me righteous. But it actually doesn't say that in that verse. It says the fervent prayers of a person, the passionate prayers. Not just the, oh, Lord, do this, amen. Like the, the pressing in and the calling upon the Lord and the faithfulness to be there. Um, and, and so this, you know, was just one picture in our lives. But, you know, we learned so much about prayer through that, that week and through that moment. And just, you know what? There, there is a time just for short prayers because you're busy. You're going throughout your day. There is a time to press in to God for prayer without ceasing as scripture calls it. And God does amazing things. And so we are invited to ask. We are there to call upon the Lord who is greater than us and who can do these things. And as we do that, we're acknowledging there is something greater than us and I can't do it by myself. And that was an interesting week because the doctors couldn't do it that week. And God bless our doctors. I love and honor our doctors. But what the doctors were doing wasn't working. And so God stepped in in an awesome way. Uh, and, and just taught us so much in that season. And sometimes we pray, as we mentioned before, and it doesn't always go the way we thought it would. Uh, the prayer doesn't get answered in the way we want or in the timing that we want. A big part of disappointment in prayer for us is the waiting, right? When is this prayer going to be answered? When is that promise going to be fulfilled? When are you going to do what I really thought you were going to do, Lord? And so we struggle with that. And sometimes that takes the energy out of our prayers and we stop praying because we get frustrated or we get disappointed. And I, I understand I've been there. I understand some of that frustration and disappointment. But when a prayer doesn't get answered the way we thought it would or in the timing that we thought it would, uh, the solution is not to stop praying or pray less in that moment. Because whatever God is working out that we don't understand, I guarantee you 100% of the prayers you don't pray won't get answered. And so we stir it up, and we stir up our faith. And in that story about Moses, there's times where his hands get tired. And so other people come alongside him and help hold his hands up. They support him in that time of prayer. And so when I don't know what to pray and I'm feeling weak, I need you to come alongside me and do that for me. And when you're weak, I will come alongside you and do that for you. And we will fight through these things together. So we never say never when Jesus is Lord. And we never say never because uh, for him, nothing is impossible. So I don't say things will never get better. I'll never get to overcome this sin. My marriage is never going to improve. My kids are never going to come back to the Lord. I'm never, ever going to see that, that thing that he put in my heart happen. We don't get to say that when he's Lord, because with him, all things are possible. So we never say never when it comes to him. But there's another side of this as well, and that's we also sometimes, as we walk with Jesus, uh, put some limits on his lordship in our lives. And we say things, probably not consciously even, but we say things like, well, I am never going to go to Africa as a missionary. I'm never going to do that scripture. That's uncomfortable for me. We talked about worship just before Christmas. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, I will never worship the way you told us the Bible says to worship with hands raised and clapping. I will never do that. And so we make these kind of vows, you know, even unconsciously to the Lord. I will never do whatever. And we don't get to do that either when Jesus is Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, it means he's Lord. It means he's in charge. And I lose my right to say, I won't do that. Because you can't do that to the king. You don't have that option. Here's a map of the Middle East. This is a little bit older. It's about a year old. I couldn't find a newer one. But uh, this is ISIS. The red area was the area controlled by ISIS. It's actually a lot smaller right now, which is a good thing. But on the left is the nation of Syria. On the right is the nation of Iraq. And the red part is ISIS. And ISIS is a group of uh, you know, radical Muslim jihadists who are trying to start a new Muslim empire, what they call a caliphate. 
And so they are trying to take over the whole Middle East and have it all be ruled under their version of what Islam should look like. And so they took over large parts of Iraq. They took over parts of Syria. And those are already established nations, obviously. But there was a group that said, we don't acknowledge the authority of Syria. We don't acknowledge the authority of Iraq. We are going to do our own thing. And so they are in rebellion against the established authorities. And this is what is actually going on in my spiritual life. Because I have given Jesus lordship of my life. I have. I have bowed my knee to him. I have received his salvation. I am following after him to the best I can. I have bowed my knee to King Jesus. However, if I'm being honest, and I think if all of us who follow Jesus are being honest, there are some territories in my life that are not fully submitted yet. There are some areas of my life where I still like doing my own thing, where I want to go my own way, where they're not fully locked into the way Jesus wants me to do it. And I think that is the nature of it for all of us, that there are regions of our kingdom that have not fully been given over to Jesus yet. And so maybe it's an area of sin for you or an area of character. Uh, maybe it's the words that you say. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's your finances. Like, it would be different for everybody probably. But there are areas of our lives that we have not fully given over yet, even as we certainly follow after Jesus and make that important in our lives. But we are called by Scripture to submit ourselves to God. All of it. And if Jesus is Lord, he wants to be Lord of all of it. And so he wants to be Lord of your thought life. He wants to be Lord of your finances. He wants to be Lord of the words that come out of your mouth. He wants to be the Lord of how you conduct yourselves privately, how you conduct yourself publicly. He wants to be Lord of your marriage. He wants to be Lord of your parenting. He wants to be Lord of your gifts and how you serve others, of your ministry. He wants to be Lord of all of it. And the first step towards solving a problem usually is acknowledging that there is a problem. And so where we acknowledge, yeah, you know what, Lord, not everything that comes out of my mouth is good and godly. Not every thought that goes through my head is, is honoring to you. There are things that I'm doing in my life that I know are not the way of Jesus. I acknowledge that there are regions in my life that have not fully come under the lordship of the king and the kingdom yet, yet. And so we acknowledge that first, and we become aware of that, and then we say, okay, next step. If Jesus really is Lord, he needs to be Lord of everything. And so what's my next step in submitting a little bit more of myself to him? We're going back to Sudbury, because we lived there, Sarah and I, for a number of years. This is a balmy winter day in downtown Sudbury. And so Sudbury is, you know how cold it was this last week. Add another 20 degrees Celsius under on that. Started in November, have it last till the end of April, and that's a Sudbury winter, okay? In January and February, it snows every day, and by the end of the winter, you've literally got no place to put the snow. So the snow banks around your house are as tall as your house, and when you're pulling out of parking lots in the city, you can't see anything, because there's just mountains of snow everywhere, so you're just creeping out, hoping you don't get smacked. And so we went to Sudbury after we spent some time in Amherstburg. I pastored in Amherstburg for a while. And we loved our time in Amherstburg. It was such a great season, and it was my first church as lead pastor. We had such a great time there. The people were amazing. It was a smaller church, and we were always broke. Uh, but spiritually and relationally, we just thrived. It was such a great season. 
And we really thought we would be there for 10 or 15 years. And we were living in a house. We had just been married, Sarah and I, less than a year. And we were looking at our house and going, okay, so if we're here five or 10 years, then we're probably going to have our kids here. We'll have our babies in this season of life. And so what are we going to do with the house? We'll have to renovate some things probably because it's not a great house for babies. And how are we going to modify that? And uh, what are we going to do in the church? And so we were making our kind of two-year, five-year, 10-year plans to be in this church. Uh, And we just loved it. It was such a great place. And one Sunday night, we used to do like we do at Meadowbrook. Once, once a month, we did a worship night. We called them encounter nights. We call them open house here. And they were just worship. You would come and just worship and just spend some time in worship. There was no sermon and no agenda. And so we were there one night, and we used to say, you know, we're just going to worship for a while. So if you want to stay in your seat, stay in your seat. If you want to wander, wander. If you want to kneel, just find a place where you're comfortable. And so I was at the back, and I was kind of just walking back and forth. And Sarah was here up here at the front. And while we were at the back and while I was worshiping and it was going on, um, as clearly as I've ever heard from God in my life, and I can say this has probably happened maybe three or four times where it was this clear, all of a sudden I just felt him say, your time at this church is over. And I burst into tears instantly. We love this church so much. We did not want to leave. And as that realization sat in and I went, that was just so, I know I heard from God. That was just so different, so profound. How am I going to tell my wife who, I mean, she's from down here. She's from Essex. All her family's here. Like, How am I going to tell her what I just feel like God has spoken to me? And we got through the night. It was, it was kind of a bummer the rest of the night. <laughs> it wasn't a great worship experience after that. Uh, And we got in the car, and we were driving home, and how am I going to tell her? And before I can say anything, Sarah says, our time here is at an end. Our time here is over. That while I was at the back, God spoke the exact same thing to her up here. And that, that's just easier, right? That's just, there's no unpleasant conversation in that moment. But we, I I so remember that car ride home, and we were just holding hands, and we were just both in tears because we did not want to go. And we talked to some friends and mentors, other pastors we knew, like, this is what we think God is saying. What do you guys think? Because we don't ever have to discern anything by ourselves. In fact, we're not supposed to. God's put us in a church family into a body of Christ for a reason. And so we went to people that we trusted. What do you, can you guys help us discern this? They all came back, said, it's, I mean, it's, it's weird, but it's, it's right. We do believe that's the word of the Lord for you guys. And so we got ready to resign and said, all right, we'll, we'll get our resume out. We will start to find a church. We'll find a church, and then we'll go to it, and uh, we'll resign and move from one church to the next. And then as we were praying, we felt like the Lord say, no, you're not to wait until you get a church. Just resign without a church to go to. Just by faith. Just trust me. So, all right. We discerned that with some friends. That's right. That is the word of the Lord for us. So we resigned in Amherstburg. We did not have a church to go to. And then we started to apply. And we thought at the time, well, if God has called us to resign, then obviously there's going to be a church waiting for us right away, right? That makes sense in my human mind that I'll just go from one to the other. And even though he had me do it in faith, it's like, you know, when Abraham went up with Isaac by faith, it was over in like a minute. So this is probably how it will go for me. And we talked to one church right away, and it was in Sudbury. And it wasn't the right church for us. We, we felt it out. We spent some time. We prayed. And we, as we went through that, we came back and went, it's just not right. God's not leading us there. And so we told them, thank you, but no, we're, we don't feel called to come to Sudbury. And I remember getting off the phone and Sarah saying to me, thank God we are not moving to Sudbury. Oh. 
And I mean, we would have gone, I'm sure, and we would have gone probably grumbling and complaining. And it was just the distance. It wasn't the city itself, but it was just so far. It's, you know, hours and hours north. No one hates winter more than my wife does. There, you know, it was just that kind of thing where it's an, all right, thank goodness. Now we, Lord, we really want to stay in Southern Ontario. And Sarah's family's here. My family's in the Toronto area. Anywhere in that stretch of the 401 would be fine. And we applied at churches, and a couple of weeks became a month, became two months, became four months, became six months, became nine months. And I could not find a job. And we ran out of money, and we moved in with my parents. And that was hard as a young man, right? Newly married, you're, you're there, and, and we're going, God, did we hear from you, right? Like, did we, and, and even friends who we trusted, some of them came back and said, you guys must have missed God. Because if you hadn't missed God, there would have been a church there for it. So we're struggling with all this doubt, and did we miss him, and, and all of these things. And we reached the point where we, okay, well, we're, I don't care where the job is, Lord. <laughs> like, I don't need to stay in southern Ontario. We'll, we'll go. We started talking to churches in Victoria and Vancouver and Halifax. We started to look at, should we go to Africa? We both have, have always appreciated Af Africa's warm. It doesn't look like that. Like, and, and getting to the point of us saying, okay, Lord, like, you are Lord. We will go anywhere that you tell us to go. We serve at the pleasure of the king. And so if it is your pleasure to send us to the ends, we will go anywhere. And not long after that, a call came because another church in Sudbury had opened up. And this church looked very different nine months later than the church. After nine months of unemployment, it looked very different. And so we explored it, we prayed about it, and it wasn't just out of like desperation, like we need a job. It was, oh, this is it. This is it. This is everything we've been praying for in the next season of our life. We've been praying for specific things. This has them all. And so we went, we preached, we got voted in, and we moved to Sudbury, which was a very different experience than at the beginning of our journey. But it took nine months for us to kind of get broken down, for God to wrestle us to the ground enough where we were actually, from our hearts, praying, Lord, whatever you want, I will do. I will go to the ends of the earth if that's what you want me to do. I wasn't praying that way at the beginning of the journey. But if Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not. And when Jesus taught us to pray, pray, Lord, let your will be done. My will might need to get put aside. My will, I would have stayed in Amherstburg for 20 years. I could have spent my whole career there. And yet, if we hadn't gotten to that point, who knows what would have happened, right? Maybe we never would have went to Sudbury. We might have just said, no, I'm never going anywhere north of Toronto, so I'm not going to go to Sudbury. Like, my kids were born there. Maybe my kids wouldn't be here, right? Maybe I wouldn't be here at this church because that was the journey that brought me. Like, you just don't know. When you tell God no, what you are limiting him doing in your life. And we have friends who have said, yeah, we are never leaving Essex County. We're, we're their pastors. We're never leaving Essex County, or we're never leaving Toronto. And I, it's not that I don't understand the preference and the impulse of that, but if we are telling God we won't do things, then he is not Lord in that area. He's not fully Lord. We have not fully bowed our knee to him yet. And so if we are to be growing in our walk with God, I have just seen, you know, again, pastor friends of ours, they pastor in Essex County, and they've said, we will never minister outside the county because they just love it here so much. But I've also noticed their walk with God has stalled out to some extent. Like they have stopped growing in, in certain ways. 
uh, because there is an area there that God can't bless. He can't fully engage with the mom because they're not willing to give that over to him. And this is all, of course, easier said than done. But part of this walk of submission is the trust factor where we say, God, I have my preferences. I have my plans. I have my will. I know what I want to do with my life, but I'm going to trust that you know more things than I know. I'm going to trust that you are better than I am. I'm going to trust that you are wiser than I am. And if you take me in a place that maybe wasn't my first choice, that nonetheless, that's going to work out for my blessing and my benefit and my good. I never would have gone to Sudbury on my own. And yet that was maybe the most important season I've ever had in my life, in my marriage, in my ministry, in my walk with Jesus. And I could have missed it by saying never. But we never say never when Jesus is Lord. And so submission, it's easy to focus on, but I might have to give up something. You know, we had to give up family connections in order to move up there. We had to give up our friends. Like, we, you do sometimes have to sacrifice some things to follow in the way of Jesus. It's easy to focus on that and say, I will never because I don't want to sacrifice this or that. But maturity brings us to the place where we have enough trust that we say, even if I do have to sacrifice something, I'm going to trust the blessing of return that I get on it is going to be greater than what I give up. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His ways are better than our ways. So we never say never when Jesus is Lord because we trust that he will be faithful, that he will work this out, that he will lead us in the way that we need to go. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. We never say never when Jesus is Lord because we just don't have the right to because we serve at the pleasure of the king. It's his call, not ours. So as we walk with Jesus, we need to be asking for his will. That's part of the Lord's prayer. Make sure you are asking for his will to be done in your life. And make sure that as we ask that, we're not just asking, but we're seeking to learn his will, to understand his will better. The clearest and easiest way to do that is by looking to the word of God. His will is revealed there. But he also promises he'll lead us by his Holy Spirit. And those are the, the nudges, the promptings, that inner sense of where he's taking us. And as we do that, we don't ever do that alone. Because I can get it wrong sometimes, and so can you. But we use each other. Help me hear from God on this. Does this sound like God's will to you? I'm thinking about going in this direction. How does that hit you? Does that witness with you? Does that, does that make sense as you pray about it? So asking his will, learning his will, and then not just stopping there, but actually going and doing it from there. Because it's not enough to just know. We want to walk it out. And as we submit to his will, we want to be obedient. And we want to be willing to trust and willing to take that chance. It's what Abraham did. Given a promise as an old man, even though he was childless, you will have a son. He got that promise at 75 years old. And then he had to wait another 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. But trusting in the faithfulness of God, Scripture says that he never wavered because he knew that he who promised was faithful. That God will be faithful to do what he said he would do. It was Joseph's struggle in a prison cell, betrayed by his brothers. He had this promise of God in his life that he would lead, that he would rule, that he would be someone great. And he's sitting in a prison cell for year after year after year after year after year. And yet, as he kept trusting God, as he kept holding on to that promise, Scripture says, the Word of God proved him true. The Word of God proved itself faithful in his life as he trusted that even though it wasn't the path that he thought it was going to take, that it all worked for his good and for his benefit and for God's glory. David gets anointed as king. You are going to be the next king of Israel. 
instantly people try to kill him and he's on the run in the wilderness four years and as he's on the run he's sleeping in caves he's running for his life god where's the promise this isn't a palace i'm sleeping in a cave you said i was going to be king i'm running from where where is this promise david remains faithful he keeps running after god he keeps trusting in the promise the path didn't take him the way he thought it was but David does sit on the throne of Israel. It's Daniel trusting as he's thrown to the lion's den. My God will protect me, and God did. It's Jesus as he prepares for the cross, saying, Lord, I, Father, I don't want to do this if I don't have to. If there's any other way that I don't have to go through this, but not my will, let your will be done. Not my path, Lord, let your path happen. Not my desires, but your desires in my life. Because Jesus knew that even if we are crucified in this life, there is resurrection on the other side every time. The end of the story is always life for those who follow after Jesus. And that doesn't mean we don't have to go through a cross to get there necessarily. But the word of God says in Hebrews that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sitting down at the right hand of God. For the joy set, he saw the other side of the trial. He saw resurrection at the end of the pain and the agony. So he trusted his father and he pressed through. We never say never when Jesus is Lord. Never say never when Jesus is Lord. We never say never when Jesus is Lord because we trust that he knows best always. And so we submit ourselves to him. And prayer is the place where we do that, where we acknowledge, Lord, I need you. I need more than myself. I can't do this on my own. Prayer is where we bow the knee and we acknowledge the kingship of Jesus in our lives. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray and get ready to close? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I acknowledge, I'm sure others acknowledge, that even as we have bowed a knee to Jesus, Lord, there are areas in our life that are not fully yours. There are areas where we live our own way and we hold on to our own desires and we're not seeking your will in them necessarily. We're not giving them over to you. So we repent, Lord, of where we have held on to things that we should give over. And Lord, in faith, we give those things over and we say, Jesus, be Lord of all of it. Be Lord, not just of my salvation, be Lord of my life here and now, here on earth. Be Lord of my thoughts, be Lord of my words, be Lord of my relationships, be Lord of my finances, be Lord of my character, of every area, Lord. I just acknowledge that I need you. I can't do this on my own. And I serve at the pleasure of the King. So Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We submit our wills to you, our plans, our preferences. It's yours. Do what you know is best, Jesus, because you are Lord, which means we are not. And we have willfully and gratefully chosen to bow a knee to the King of all glory. And we trust you, Lord, to do what is good and to do what is right. In Jesus' name, amen.